And that brings me to the text I want to share with you this morning, which is 2 Samuel chapter 5. And um, I love this, this scripture. And um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, the story, it's one of my favorite stories. In fact, it's one of the first sermons I ever preached when I was 17 years old. Um, you'll be pleased to know that I've developed it and improved it. Uh, I think that sermon lasted about five minutes. And then they said, well, that wasn't very good. Uh, but uh, here is the story. Uh, now, let me read it to you and then let me give you some context for it. What I want to do is, is read, let's read, the, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites, where who lived there. And the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. And they thought, then David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Let's pause it there for a moment. The word I want to talk to you about in 2019 is this word. And the word is nevertheless. Because I think for some of us, what we need is a sense of the nevertheless in our lives. That despite what people say... Despite what is taking place, despite what you're facing in your life, nevertheless, God did what you were looking for God to do. Nevertheless, those prayers were answered. Nevertheless, that prodigal came back to Christ. Nevertheless, you saw that breakthrough in your family. Nevertheless, God moved in power and anointing in your life. But do you notice that David is marching towards Jerusalem, where the Jebusites lived. Now, you may be surprised by this because you may say, well, wasn't Jerusalem always part of Israel? And here we are, we've got the city of Jerusalem, where this group called the Jebusites lived here. Wasn't that always the case? Didn't when, when, when they crossed the Jordan... And, and, and there they conquered the land and the 12 tribes spread out and they moved. Didn't they capture the land right there with Joshua at the very beginning? The answer is no. This was a city that was never conquered. However, there is a little verse in, I think it's Judges chapter 1 and verse 5, that does mention that the Israelite armies in Judges did capture Jerusalem for a moment. And it says, and the valiant men captured Jerusalem, but then they seem to have lost it. So there's that little verse that we often don't think about, but this is the defining moment for Jerusalem, the city of God. Jerusalem that has two locations on earth and in heaven. Jerusalem where the three main world religions gather together to worship the, uh, a God, the one God, if you like. The Abrahamic religions gather together, the Christians, the Jews and Islam, they gather together in Jerusalem. It is the holy city. It is the key city and it goes back to this moment in history and time. See, the city that the Jebusites lived in was a city that was, it was quite small, probably just about 15 acres. 
It was a, a, a walled city. It was not an impressive city in that sense. But when you go to Jerusalem and you see the landscape, you see the golden rocks, as it were. The, the, the sense of the scree that comes down the side of the hills, the valleys. And right in the middle of this wilderness land, it's not a place to have a city. It's not like Tyre or Athens or Gaza or any of the great cities, Alexandria by the ocean or, or by a, a river like the Nile or Euphrates and so on. It's not like that. It's a strange little city because it's sat in a group of hills which are barren with these golden rocks and, and the scree and the brush high up with the cliffs. It is it's quite a difficult landscape. And right there, there's a city. And the reason that there was a small fort at that time was because in the bottom, there is a spring. And that spring made all of the difference. That spring fed Jerusalem, because it gave the opportunity for the Canaanites that lived there to be able to draw water and connect. Now, the city itself goes back early as 5,000 BC, where they find in the kind of mists of time and the swirling, you know, trying to work out the dates and the different things, that there are, there are caves and there are graves that exist there around, around that period. But we first hear of, of, of really of, of Jerusalem being spoke of in Egypt where we can triangulate its existence right the way to about the 1900s, uh, 1900 BC, where in Egypt they found broken clay uh, pots and on them there is writings of history and there it is mentioned for the very first time, Jerusalem or Jerusalem. Spelt with a U, not with a J. And there it is, is discovered at the moment. And, and, and somehow there was a, through that period, the Egyptians were the big superpower that influenced that area. We know that because the city itself was under attack by bandits and, uh, and, and kind of Bedouin uh, marauders of, that would go around the land in about 1458. And there's the first word spoken from a Jerusalemite who was the king or the, you say king, he was really just a, a local chieftain who panicked and wrote to the Egyptian pharaoh and they have the letter and it says, please come send 50 archers I am begging of you and he's kind of paranoid and, and full of worry and he says I come to you great Pharaoh and I bow down seven times, seven times, seven times. I'm really in trouble. Please send your archers to save me. That is the first recorded words of anybody that lived in Jerusalem in 1458. But then something happens and we have this moment and this moment comes because around the 1300s, David and the judges and all is taking place. It's starting to happen. Because at the, around the 1300s, there was a, 
a people called the Sea People. And they were invading and they were uh, attacking cities. Nobody really knows who the Sea People were. They just appeared. And they were, they were kind of like the kind of ancient Vikings. They, were, they weren't Vikings. They were probably from, from, from around Greece, from northern area. But they would arrive, they would destroy, they would leave. And suddenly, the economics of the region struggled. Egypt became protectionist because of it, then communication with, with the Euphrates and that area, and there was this massive vacuum because cities were being burnt all around, and the middle of that perfect timing appears the time of the judges. And as the time of the judges come, really Israel is no nation. It is groups of tribes that are uh, kind of collaborating together and working together, and at that moment they say, can we have a king please? And God gives them Saul. And Saul is, he is seen as a good man at first, but then slowly becomes paranoid, slowly becomes ill, slowly starts to murder, becomes a tyrant, starts to destroy the land rather than bless the land. And Samuel, in this kind of prayerful, prophetic panic, goes down to Bethlehem and and there anoints the young David to be king. And David has to wait. While Saul is in the land, David has to wait. But the thing that we know about David is that David was this brilliant, all-rounded, amazing individual who was charismatic, who was played instruments, who was a poet, and yet he was a murderer, an adulterer later on in his life. He was a man who was, was, was of good form, good looking, and he was seen, and they anointed him, and that, that Samuel could see what was going on in the nation, and the nation needed a leader, and they needed a leader that would bring unity, would bring a sense of togetherness, because the nation was tearing itself to pieces. You have that moment where Saul and Jonathan are dead. And this, this messenger runs up and says, Oh, they're dead. I killed them. And then David turns around and kills him. He probably thought, like, I'm in for a good payment here. This is great news. Here I go. I've, I've killed them. Oh, sorry. And, and David falls on the ground and, and laments and talks about how great Saul was and Jonathan and what a brother. And you can see the biblical narrative working its way out. And then the trouble begins just before this verse. And the trouble is this, that civil war breaks out for seven years. And they're fighting each other. And the northern kingdoms or the northern tribes led by one of Saul's sons, of course, is fighting David. And for seven years they battle. For seven years they fight. For seven years there is no unity that is taking place until finally David overcomes them all. So why Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was never part of this. Because the capital of the kingdom of Judah was south. And the capital of the northern tribes was north, where Saul lived. And there was this little fort. And God chose this little fort. And David looked at this 
And like the brilliant leader he was, inspired by God, he saw that this was a place. It was neither south, it was neither north. It had no history with all the tribes, but it is a place of unity, a place of alignment, a place situated in the middle of a country that is 100 miles wide, 150 long, and right in the middle there is Jerusalem. And I want to give you a first lesson here right now. If you're going to move forward in spiritual authority in 2019 and see the nevertheless take place within your life, then it comes through agreement. It comes through creating unity. It comes through alignment. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. Where the church agrees together in unity, God will move in power. Where a family, a husband, and wife are praying in alignment and unity to bring things together. It changes things. Do not forget the power of unity and how blessing that is and the power of alignment. When we agree together, when we pray together, God can do the nevertheless. And the Jerusalem was the place of unity for the nation. It was the place of togetherness. Now, of course, he hadn't captured it yet. But it was a very good move. South and north. Heal the nation. No rivalry. I mean, the Jebusites have lived there since, you know, 3,500 people have been living here. Um, 3,500 BC, they've been living there. So we've got to bring unity. So then, of course, then the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. And the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. Two ways to interpret this verse. One, you will not get in here because you're so useless. You've got so useless ability that a blind army of people that are limping can drive you away. Now that's quite an insult. That's sort of like, uh, you know, that kind of um, insult of Monty Python. Uh, If you've ever watched Monty Python, uh, I'm feeling very vulnerable at this moment. (laughs) But the Knights of Knee stand on on top of the, and they say, go away, you are useless. You smell like your mother's armpit and, and all of these kind of things. You'll never conquer us. No, you know. And they throw insults at them in French accents, which is very hurtful, and to the English. And you're, you're no good. They're doing that at the moment with Brexit. And they're throwing insults. And this is what's happening. They're standing up there. They actually would have brought all of the blind and the lame. I don't know how many there would have been. 1,200 people probably lived there. Uh, They brought the blind and the lame. You see these blind and the lame? Number one, they could beat you in a fight. Number two, you're going to be blind and lame after we finish with you. Nobody's conquered us. We're here. We've got the spring. We've got the water. They weren't advertising that. Uh, But we can fight you. And our words to you is that you are useless and you will not do it. There's a lot of words spoken against the church in this generation that says the church is irrelevant. That even the blind and the lame can ward you off. 
But the truth is this. That we are not irrelevant. We are not blind and lame. Because we are the bride of Christ. But even... In your life, there are voices and lies that are telling you that you are blind, that you are lame, that you have no gifts, that you have no abilities, that you uh, have failed God, that you live under the shame, that you've got no hope, that you are blind and you are lame in the kingdom of God. And as your pastor over Willow Park Church, let me tell you, God has called you. God is with you. God will use you. Only will you make that step in 2019 to to make a difference. Stop listening to the lies that have been thrown at you and start listening to the voice of the living God. Stop listening to the lies that you're hearing from all around you and from within you and start opening the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about you in 2019. In 2019, it's time for you and I to become a people of prayer and the people of the Bible. And not listen to the insults. Because the enemy loves to get in and insult us. Yes, they had every reason to be proud. Nobody captured it. You know, in Judges, they captured it for a moment and it disappeared. They had a proud history. I mean, this was the city where Abraham came and met Melchizedek. So it was obviously a spiritual place because it was a a king of priests that had lived there through the the hundreds of years. And there Melchizedek took the wine and the bread and poured it out. And they, they, they together they celebrated just outside of the walls there. And of course it was a place just on Mount Moriah just behind where the Holy of Holies where probably Abraham took Isaac there. And, and, and was tested by God. So it was a holy place. But even though we know our history, and we know our holiness, and we know what God has done, and we know what God has called us, that to Moses, where Moses, God said, I'm going to send you to this land. I'm going to give you this land. And he says, well, who shall I say you are? And he says, I am that I am. So I'm the invisible God. So get on and trust me and believe. And the great story unfolds as they come to the land. And from Mount Nabor, they look at the land and Moses never enters. But there's a great story. But it matters, even though you have a great story, it matters what God is doing in your life today. What God is doing. The way God is working in your life at the moment. That's what really matters. You know, and many of us, we have great spiritual heritages. We've done mighty things. We've traveled a long way. But nevertheless, God is still working in your life. Nevertheless, God can still do something. Don't live on the past um, victories. Live on what God has for you. So David is, you know, receiving all of these insults. The lame and the blind, and you cannot get in here. I love this. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress. I just love the way it says that. Which is the city of David. And on that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will 
have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind, he's turning it around, who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. So the interesting thing is here that you actually get a bit of strategic information that says this is what's going to happen. We need to go through the water shaft. Now, we know that there was a water shaft. And this water shaft, there was a wall, a small wall around the city. I say small, they had dug up blocks at about three tons. So these blocks were about three tons each. And this, this was a wall that was built. Nothing compared to Herod's wall with 600 ton bricks put in Herod's walls. But, but we all know about Herod and his... But these were, these were uh, three-ton bricks that were placed. And as it went around, that the, by the spring, they built a massive tower. And this tower was where they went down to the spring. And this tower in the ancient world would be a place, of course, of defense, but would also be a place of worship. And it would be a place where they would honor the gods. And they would worship. And these were kind of battle towers that were also places of worship. And what David is suggesting strategically is that the most vulnerable place is down by the spring. And if we can get in through the spring, we can follow the shaft where they find the water. And there we can get into the city. So he had this strategic plan. And even though alignment is critical for as we pray and move forward in 2019, we can't listen to the words and the lies of the enemy that are being thrown at us. But still, we've got to be strategic in what God asks us to do. You've got to be strategic in your life. What are you going to change? What are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? They were going to go. Now, of course, people thought for a long time that, that these shafts didn't exist or, or it wasn't really there. And, and they debated it. And then they found, of course, they know where the spring is. The spring has always been there. It's been filled in. It's changed directions and so on. But there's actually a shaft. And I got the chance to go to the shaft. Uh, here we are. Now, this is part of the shaft. Now, actually, as you look at this shaft, it is actually upside down on the photograph. Um, so um, I, I don't think we can turn it. Um, let's just see. Ah, there we go. Okay. So this is the shaft. And this goes from the bottom. And this would have been this little passageway that you guess in the dead of night that David and his men would have gone down, presumably overpowered the guards at the bottom or, or by some kind of stealth, got in. And then they began the climb up and up as they made their way through, listening to the water, listening to the passageway, moving forward in the dark to capture the city. They've actually found this, um, this shaft and, and where the water flows and where it was. So you imagine being David's army. 
believing after all these insults, going deep into the ground, and then now following the shaft all the way up. To get that to that place, to capture the city. Now many, a great European castle has been conquered this way. It was to get the water source and get in through. And if you can get in there, you can, at night, you can capture the, the, the fortress and you can move forward. And, and now they've opened it all up so you can actually make that journey and you can walk that journey itself step by step. And, and bit by bit. As I walked through those caverns and this pathway, I waited for all the tourists to go so I was be alone and you get better photographs as well. And, and I'd wait and wait and wait. And then I'd, I'd walk along and I'd, I'd take my hand and I'd rub it along this wall and thinking... That David and his men, and undoubtedly David would have been there. Pushing my hand along the stone. Imagining it's all lit, of course, because of health and safety. No health and safety back then. And, and you're there and you think of the blackness. You think of the darkness. You think of the anticipation of a battle. You think of what is is going to take place. It takes courage. It takes guts to follow through what you know God is asking you to do. And as we step into 2019 in our great big story of what God has been doing, as it were, in our tribe, in our Jerusalem, in our world where we're seeing the kingdom of God, we are going, Lord, let us be in line with your will, in line with those I'm serving with, in line with what God's doing, because we want to bring unity. Lord, as I'm stepping forward and moving, may I only listen to your voice in 2019. And thirdly, Lord, I may have to travel through some pretty dark times to fulfill the will of God in my life. Give me the courage to walk even through the darkness. Give me the courage to not back off to safety. Give me the courage to do what God is asking me to do, to walk Sometimes it's that narrow path, and this was certainly narrow. I mean, people that were feeling, don't like closed spaces, they were not enjoying this experience. You could hear the screams. It was added to it. Um, and, and you go, and it's a long walk, you know. It's, it's not, you've got to be pretty fit to do the walk. Because you go from the bottom all the way up. And you imagine the darkness. 
You can hear the noise ahead. You feel the anticipation. You need the courage because God had said, this is going to be my city, the city of David. It was called Zion before, but it's going to be called Zion and all the nations will know. And I'm going to use this city. And in this great city, you're going to capture one day a savior will come from the house of David and he will be nailed to a cross and he will die and he will liberate the whole world through the power of his death and through the redemption of Christ Jesus. And David's walking this land. He's walking, they're in the darkness and when you're going to achieve great things for the kingdom of God, we've got to give our fear to the Lord and ask the Lord to give us courage. And for some of us in 2019, maybe we need courage because of what we're going to face. Maybe we need courage because of illness. Maybe we need courage because of relationships. Courage because of our businesses. Courage because of our vision. Courage because we know that we've got to win people back to Christ. Courage because of so many reasons. But God is always working the macro story and the micro story in every one of you. Every one of you. God is working that story. And of course, they, they capture it. They, they, now, what is lovely about this story, in the ancient world, when you capture a city, you usually slaughter everybody. And then you um, kill them all. You take the young women, put them into slavery, or you marry them off to your young men. Uh, the kids, you, you take them and you train them to be your serfs and your slaves and get rid of... Uh, if you don't kill all the men, you chop their thumbs off and chop, chop their uh, toes off so they're useless. And you let them go. And um, that's being merciful. But generally in the ancient world, you'd basically kill everybody in the... Interesting though... We don't know what happened because we don't have, maybe an agreement was struck. Maybe they captured the city. But the Jebusites then became part of the nation and they became part of the cosmopolitan army of David and they served in David and he did not massacre the inhabitants of that city. There's a sense of mercy there, isn't there? The sense of, that's good. They captured it, and then they invited the Jebusites to join the great mission that they were on to unite the nation. And I believe that when we live in the nevertheless, in the nevertheless that we live in, mercy and kindness is better than slaughter and murder. And we can murder people through our words, Jesus taught. We can be rude and dishonoring. And the Bible teaches in Corinthians that love is not dishonoring. It is not rude of of others. There's a sense here that they were seeking alignment. They were seeking and not listening to any voice except God's voice. They had to have courage to carry through the campaign. And finally, there was mercy. 
and there was grace. As it were, they, they welcomed them in to the great move of David's house. And the Jebusites became that group of, of, of soldiers, that infantry battalion within the Israel army. But you just see that reflected. I'm going to finish on these two points. Two other neverthelesses. There's a moment in Luke chapter 5 when he's teaching from the boat. He says to Simon, Simon, let's go out and fish again. Simon says, no, no, no. I can't. We're done. We didn't catch anything. And he says, do it this way. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. This verse captures the very heart of nevertheless. Nevertheless, he captured the fortress of Zion, which became the city of David, which became Jerusalem. Because he followed what God was leading. In our lives, we can toil and we can work and we can push and we can do it in our own strength and we can do it in our own power. But nevertheless, Jesus says, do it my way now. Put down the nets this way. And when you listen to my voice, you will get, you will get a catch beyond anything you can imagine. And the key in this whole nevertheless is in our own lives is to say, Lord, what are you saying? What is your heart? What are you speaking? In my story, in my journey, in 2019, Lord, what is the nevertheless? Nevertheless, I, they obeyed. We put it down. There's another nevertheless that happens in the garden in Gethsemane. And Jesus says this. Lord, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But nevertheless, thy will be done. Not mine. Thy will. I don't want to go through what I'm going to go through. But nevertheless, if it's your will, I will do it. And if you put all these things together, you get a very clear picture of what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to move together in unity and alignment for the sake of the gospel to win the fortresses of this culture because Jesus Christ is the answer for this world. And the world is getting darker and the church needs to get lighter. And even though we need courage, we can't listen to the philosophies and the voices and the lies around us. We have to listen to what the gospel teaches us and the call of Christ to stand up for the truth of the power of salvation for this world. That Jesus is the only answer for this world. But that means we have to probably go into dark places. 
where we need courage to feel the cold walls, the echoes of life, but be willing to climb and to climb and to climb and to feel that mercy and to say, Lord, I've done it in my own power, but 2019, I am going to do it in God's power. I'm done. I'm done with my toil. I'm done with my fishing trips. I want God's fishing trips. And that only happens when you listen to the voice of Jesus. And then we have to all say at the beginning of 2019, as a network, as a group of six congregations, we have to all say, Lord, but thy will is the most important thing. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will come. Nevertheless, I'll follow your will in this time. So, nevertheless, I'd like to finish now. Because <laughs> as you notice, I've done pretty well. 40 odd minutes and uh, happy new year. <laughs> But let's stand to pray together. When you come to fill in those um, three areas of prayer and fasting for our church... Maybe write nevertheless over the top. That you're believing for the nevertheless in that challenge. The nevertheless for life, not death. The nevertheless for blessing. The nevertheless for the prodigal. The nevertheless for the job. The nevertheless for the marriage. The nevertheless... Whatever that nevertheless is, let's believe for the Lord. And let's learn to listen to his voice and cast the net on the other side. Nevertheless. For a moment, why don't we prayerfully in silence, rededicate our lives to Christ. Look towards 2019. Ask the Lord to give you a word for 2019. Maybe a single word that captures what this year is about for you.
Father, as a church, we stand, as Willow Park Church, we stand, we stand together in the city, playing our role as one of those tribes, the tribe of Willow Park Church. There are many wonderful tribes in this city, Lord. But this morning, we honor you with our lives. And we pray, God, that you will continue to align us and to move us forward in your unity, whether that is unity at a relational level, in our marriages, in our families, with our children, unity with friendships and alignment, unity with those that we're struggling with, unity as a network. Father, we pray that we will not listen to any words of the enemy and the lies of the enemy, that we may listen to your word and your word alone in our lives. And I pray for every one of us that we will receive a rhema word, a now word, a kairos word, a God-breathed word for each of our lives in Jesus' name. Give us courage in 2019 that when we have to climb constricted, dark, scary experiences, that we'll have the courage to believe that God is climbing those stairs with us to take that stronghold that you've asked us to take, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'll learn to listen, to cast our nets on the other side. Nevertheless, they listened. And Lord, in 2019, we pray Nevertheless, thy will be done. God, you are the God of the I am that I am. And Jesus, you said, you are that God. You said, I am before Abraham. And we welcome you and pray blessing in 2019 on all of our lives and churches. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name. Come in this final song with the breath of your Holy Spirit to renew our hearts and lift us, Lord, and to bring us really close to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.